the scripture I'd like to read today is found in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, and short passage towards the end of that chapter. <clears throat> we will be, after the second service, having our um, Thanksgiving dinner together that we do every year. We'll not have um, coffee and donuts after this service because they're setting up for all that. Um, and those of us that will be here for that, hope it's a good number of you, um, but those of you that will be here, um, if you how badly do you want to go to heaven is probably the main question I want to ask. Um, or do you want to avoid the other place? Um, find, find people that you may not know well and make them feel welcome at this dinner. Um, if we're just clustered together with people we've known since high school and we're, you know... Um, I want to do the best we can to make people feel a part of um, this is a wonderful group of people. I want us to welcome others into it. So keep an eye out for somebody that um, you may not know well, and this gives you an opportunity to get better acquainted. In the fifth chapter um, of this first letter to the church in Thessalonica, um, <clears throat> I think we will begin with verse 14, even though that's in the middle of a paragraph. <clears throat> we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that, to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. The... 18th verse, in everything give thanks. It's what I want us to look at today. <clears throat> There's hardly a page in the Bible where thanksgiving from a loving, reverent heart is not mentioned, commanded, exhorted, and put forth as true evidence 
of a heart that's right with God. There's a reason why these closing exhortations, rejoice always, be thankful, so forth, so forth, take care of one another, is linked to verse 23, which is his prayer that we recognize is not a one-off prayer. He prays, this is a continual prayer that Paul's praying for these Thessalonian believers. And the, the heart attitude and the behavior that he is describing here is dependent on that prayer being answered in every heart. The bottom line is this. To rejoice all the time, to rejoice every more, to be thankful, to pray without ceasing, to watch over one another, support the weak, so forth. All of these things cannot be done unless the work Paul prays for in verse 23 is accomplished in our hearts. I pray that the very God of peace would sanctify entirely, or other versions use the word holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, or completely, or through and through. There's a number of different words that are brought here to try to enforce how thorough this heart cleansing is. Of course, behind it is the doctrine, the teaching everywhere in Scripture of sin. And salvation is like a medical treatment. All medical treatments are tailored, in fact, demanded, dictated by the disease. We can't ever forget that. And I know sometimes, I often, I don't know if it's the devil that talks to me, who's talking to me, but I think people are going to be sick of hearing these things. But you know what? Um, we have to be repetitious, and I have, um, I have some basic authority for that. One, the Bible is one of the most repetitious books there is. Number two, Peter said in his first and second letters, he said, I know you already know this, but I'm going to tell you again. Two, he said, stir up your minds by way of reminder. So, as in medicine, a disease dictates the cure, the treatment. We really, in a sense... We don't have total option as to treating a disease. You have whatever. You have lung cancer. I'm going to give you heavy doses of antihistamines. And then we're going to put lots of, you know, Bengay on you. And you can't do that. But I would rather have that. I don't care. I don't care what cure or treatment you want. 
The disease dictates, demands a certain kind of treatment. We have a twofold problem. We're born with an inclination to rebel against God. God describes it in terrible terms all through Scripture. Romans 8, he said, this mind, and the word mind, calling, calling it the carnal mind, is a set of the sails. It's a direction. It's a grain of the wood. That's, it's a deep inclination. Romans 8 calls it, says it, is enmity against God is not subject to the law of God, neither will it ever be subject to the law of God. Now, so we have then something that is inclined against God in our hearts. And when we reach the age of moral accountability, old enough to know the difference between true right and wrong, that always produces deeds, acts, habitual, habitual practice of rebellion and disobedience against God's law. Because this is not subject to God's law, it's enmity against him. It sees God, frankly, as our greatest threat because he's sovereign, but we have something in here that is self-sovereign. Don't tread on me. Don't tell me what to do. And so the ultimate threat to me is all kinds of authority, whether it is parents, teachers, police, it doesn't matter. There's a hierarchy here, but it reaches finally to God. Because God has ultimate right to say to us, do this, don't do that. And so why is this enmity against God, who's done nothing to us? Because he's a threat to that self-sovereignty. I need then, everyone has to get under conviction and the wrath, the sense of the displeasure of God for the deeds we're committing, leading to a point in time when we repent of those, we turn from them, we confess them to God, we ask Him to forgive us, and we ask Him to come into our hearts and rule our lives. He does. We call that conversion, or the new birth, being born of the Spirit. Then, we will discover, and I, I promised myself and everybody this morning that I wouldn't take forever, but if we walk with God in that new birth experience, we will discover this cross-grain undercurrent, undertow still in my heart. It no longer dominates my life. I'm not obeying it because I've stopped 
sinning. I'm walking with God. But I'll find something in here that is at cross purposes to my wishes and my desires to please God, to be a wonderful Christian. Now, I have to say this. I know that I have to struggle to stay positive at times. I don't find one out of five million Christians who seem to discover that in their hearts as Christians and are troubled by it. I think it's because so many people have such a lukewarm, if there's such a thing, conversion experience, and they are such milk toast Christians that they're not walking hard enough after God to ever stir this up. Does that make sense? If I am just lollygagging along as a so-called Christian, I don't stir anything up in here. But when I walk, as the scripture says, David said in the Psalms, I follow hard after God. You do that. And this, this undertow in here of I am my own, I want to run my show, I want to do all humor God a little bit, but don't tell me what to do. Don't take total control over my life. Don't change my agenda and my ambitions. I got my plans. Leave them, leave them alone. The only way to discover that is to walk fervently enough after God that this rears its head and we discover uh, this isn't good. Something's going on in here that prevents me from being wholehearted after God. Now, when that rears its head, when we discover it, it took three years under Jesus' ministry for the disciples to figure that out. And Jesus was always rebuking them. What's the matter with you? Why are you hard of heart? Why are you slow to believe? Why are you self-absorbed? Why are you more concerned about your own wishes and will than mine. It erupted towards the end of the three years, especially with Peter and basically with all of them, primarily with Peter. Jesus said, "At the uh, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. Third day, I'll rise from the dead. They never heard the rising from the dead. They never paid any attention to it. All they heard was, you're dying. Now, they had, as fervent as they could, a love of Jesus, but it was mingled with love of self, and they were hooking themselves, in some cases, to Jesus' star so that they would rise with him. And Peter, knowing he was, if you want to use the term, one of the favorites with Jesus, he and James and John, he grabbed Jesus and he said, this shall not happen to you. Who's he worried about? Well, he's worried about Jesus legitimately. But what's going to happen to him? Don't think that wasn't uppermost in his mind. And Jesus identified. He says, get behind me, Satan. Now, he wasn't telling him he was demon-possessed. But he uses the word Satan there, which means adversary. You're an adversary to me. You're in my way. You're butting heads with my will. 
Isn't that what Paul says in Romans 8? It's enmity against God. It's an adversary to God. The Bible's so consistent in describing what's deep down in our heart. And that's what God's always been after. He has to get me out of the practice of sinning, forgive my sins, come into my heart, and give me power to stop the sin business in order that he can drill down deep and get at that thing in my heart. That's why. That's why Paul says, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, support the weak, be patient with everybody, give thanks in everything, so forth, so forth, so forth. And then he says, I pray that God sanctify you through and through because you can't pray without ceasing, give thanks, be patient with people, love people who are unlovely until that's accomplished in your heart. Now, five things about thanksgiving. Assuming that we have a heart that is reverent and loves God. True thanksgiving cannot come out of a heart that isn't humble and reverent and loving to God. It's fake thank. Or it's really self-absorbed thankfulness. There are five things here that I want to look at that are associated with thanksgiving. By the way, the word praise is almost a synonym of thanksgiving. Praise, if you want to be real technical, praise magnifies God's person, his character. Thanksgiving acknowledges and is grateful for his gifts. So there's a bit of a distinction there, but generally praise and thanksgiving in Scripture are almost synonyms. <clears throat> Here's the five aspects of thanksgiving that I want to look at. First, thanksgiving is a charge. And I'm using the word charge in its dictionary meaning of a requirement or a command or an order. Okay? So when he says here, give thanks in everything, that's not meant to be helpful advice. It's not a self-help tool. It's an order. It's a command. It's a requirement. <clears throat> it is not an option. And... On the other side of it, Romans chapter 1, where Paul describes, it's the most graphic, and if you want to look at discouraging, depressing description of the evil of the human heart and what it produces in Romans 1. Way down the list, meaning, and Paul works from the top down, meaning the further in the chapter, the worse things are. Well, well into the chapter, he names something that seems to be, I don't know, you know, you think, well, man, why is he worried about that? Got bigger problems than this. In describing the awful depravity of the human heart, then as a, as a final follow-up in that er, or later description, neither were they thankful Now, that's way down the list with atheism, 
adultery, murder, fornication, homosexuality, godlessness. He said, neither were they thankful. Maybe we can see in a few minutes here, if I ever get there, why he considers that such an awful thing, not to be thankful. It's a sin. <clears throat> Though it is a commandment, a charge, it's never meant to be kind of a grudging thing. Again, it has to flow from a heart that loves God and a heart that is grateful to God. So it is a command. Second, thanksgiving is a challenge. Meaning, there are times when you don't feel like being thankful. And we do have to kind of split some hairs here. A lot of other versions. That I'm reading from the New American Standard this morning. And it says here that we are to, in 18, in everything give thanks. Okay? Several other very good translations say... Give thanks in every circumstance. That's a little clearer. And the implication is that thanksgiving, and we know this, thanksgiving when things are going well, everything works out, stuff falls together, the gears mesh, life's great. You better be thankful. Who needs to hear that then? Everything's going great. The diagnosis was, the, all the tests are negative. Kids are doing great. College grades are great. The cars aren't breaking down. Everything's just wonderful. Who needs an exhortation, a command to be thankful during those kind of times? Thanksgiving is a challenge because it is ordered no matter what the circumstances are. Now, here's helpful, something helpful, I think. And I, this is not um, letting, us off, letting us off the hook. The word here really could just as well be translated, give thanks over all things. The hair splitting that I think is legitimate here is I'm not thankful necessarily for the actual test or trial that I'm going through, the circumstances that are pressing upon me and are distressing me, and I am, I'm up, I'm laying awake nights over it. I, I so Thank you, Lord, that someone smashed into my car and left, and I have a high deductible. I just want to thank you. I'm so glad that all the tests came back positive. Who does that? I'm maintaining here that it is accurate to say, even though I'm not thankful for that, He's saying, be thankful for the help from God in it, the lessons you may learn through it, the strengthening that he will give you, 
I have, I have a sister who probably 20 years now has, she worked all her life as a RN and ended up with something that often is peculiar to RNs, and it's a degenerative kind of neck, um, and it's from the moving people and turning your head to look at a drip and whatever you're doing. At any rate, she's had a degenerative uh, disc issue in her neck, has had I don't know how many surgeries, gone through all kinds of regimens of drugs to try to numb the pain. Ends up today, she has a, one of those uh, pumps that automatically puts, um, has a shunt that goes directly to your spinal column right to the spot and does her best to try to function. Can't be a nurse any longer. Um, is an incredible pianist. Incredible pianist. And if she plays for a service or somebody's funeral or just sits down to play um, at the piano in her home, she'll pay for it. Three, for three days, her, her arms kill her. And she's in bed. She told me not that long ago, this has been, she said, I, I, so many times I feel like going into a dark room and never coming out. And she's put up with 20 years of it, counting. She said, I've learned so much about God, his mercy, his strength, his communicating with me, his comfort, his help, that I wouldn't trade away what I have because of what I've gained. That has come out of a sincere heart that says, Lord, I see the bigger picture. Now, she's never once that I'm aware of prayed, Lord, I thank you that my arms, the nerves are so pinched and crunched that I can't play the piano anymore and I can't go shopping and I can't take long drives in the car. Boy, I'm thankful for that. It's I'm thankful for what I've learned through it. So this little word here, in, can better be translated over. Be thankful over all circumstances. Romans 8 is a scripture that we almost always misquote. All things work together for good. God never said that. He said, in all things, God is working for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So a lot of times the things are objectionable, abrasive. Man, I tell you. But Lord, I'm grateful that it, for what I've learned that I wouldn't have had I not been in these circumstances. That is what he means which includes not only um, the gratitude for what I've learned, but also unmentioned but assumed is a submissive heart. 
You've got to have a submissive heart. You've got to have a heart that says, Lord, thy will be done. Paul said, I begged God. And the word is as strong as you can get. He just begged him three times for whatever the physical thorn in the flesh was. He said, I begged him to take it away from me. And he never did it. Instead, Jesus, he said, whispered to him, my grace is sufficient. He's, so what did Paul say? Well, I gritted my teeth and I just put up with it. But I tell you, I don't. No. He said, I will glory in my tribulations. When I'm weak, Jesus is made strong. And he is glorified. So thanksgiving can be a challenge. But it is then third... Thanksgiving is a choice. I want to remind you of the three capacities or faculties that God created in us when he made us in his image and his likeness. That includes affections, A, not E, A, uh, affections or feelings or emotions Desires, wishes. Two, reason. Three, choice. Will. The devil has open access to our feelings and to our reason. But he doesn't have access to my will unless I give him permission. I cannot then keep Thoughts from coming to my mind and being tempted. I cannot prevent feelings of the blues, depression, discouragement, all the things the devil, the fiery darts he can fire at us. I can't prevent those. I can kick them out when they come to me. But what's really doing that? My feelings and my reason? No. Choice. I make a decision. Lord, I don't feel good. I, I'm heavy-hearted. I'm worried about a thousand things. But, Lord, I'm going to trust you. You're God. You're on the throne. You know when a sparrow falls to the ground. You know me. You know the hairs of my head. You know my plans. You know my feelings. You know everything. I will trust you that you are fundamentally clear to the core. Good. You cannot lie. You cannot be evil. You cannot do anything to us except that which is right and best for us, and everything you're doing is designed to enable us to land safe on that happy shore. So Lord, I'll grit my teeth and go through with you. That's, that's why Thanksgiving can seem to be non-spontaneous. It's a choice. Lord, I will thank you. I don't know how many of you remember, few of you would, <clears throat> Dr. Tom Hermes, who came to our church uh, way back when we were still in the old uh, Bill Davis building downtown and preached uh, three or four or five day little special meetings. I think it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Anyway, he told me once um, of traveling in Ohio where he lives. He was going to some place to preach. 
and he rounded a corner and screeched to a halt. It was kind of a country highway. And there was a family, he said he got there, he came there so soon after a rollover crash had occurred that the tires were still turning on the station wagon that then that they were in. And there were some of them were thrown out, but one of the one of the boys was killed instantly. And they had three or four kids. And he stopped to help. There were other traffic. People began to stop. He said that father and that mother, he said he couldn't believe it. He joined them, but he said they knelt at the side of the road. The dad, the mom, got the, uh, the remaining kids and prayed and said, Lord, receive the soul of their child. We don't know why this happened, but we trust you. And we know he's safe in heaven now forever. That's heart religion. Now, I hope that doesn't happen to me. I'm not looking for that. I'm not saying, boy, Lord, I hope. You understand? There's craziness, I think, in some teaching today. I, I, I don't want anything like that to hit me. Neither do you. But God gives us the grace when our hearts are right to say, Lord, thy will be done. I don't understand it, and I may not till judgment. Thy will be done. Thanksgiving is a choice. Thanksgiving is a check. What do I mean there? Continual Thanksgiving is a check, a wall against pride, boasting, self-promotion, self-reliance. Thankfulness is wedded with humility. Pride, I'm a self-made man. <laughs> Pride and thankfulness, are in, they're oil and water. You cannot have both. Thankfulness requires dependence on God, acknowledgement of it, awareness. Everything I have, God gave me. Like Job, man, Job had it. After losing all he lost, his family, everything, he said, Lord, I'll bless your name. And the word there is thanksgiving. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Finally, thanksgiving is a channel when we are genuinely thankful to God, He gives us power. He gives us grace and strength. Paul and Silas, beaten half to death, ribs showing in a dungeon where there were other putrefying, dead, rotting bodies of prisoners that never got hauled up out of the dungeon. And they, their feet were in the stocks, and it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas, Begin to pray, give thanks, sing hymns. Prisoners heard them. God put his power to them. Shook the whole prison foundations. Everyone's chains fell off. That's the case where the jailer rushed in and says, what must I do to be saved? God gives us power. And it gets air under our wings when we're down. 
when we thank God. It is catching, even within our own hearts. It's encouraging. Finally, you have the case of, wonderful case of King Jehoshaphat. If you're looking for a name for kids or your grandkids, there's one. Faced one million, one million Ethiopians attack coming against Jerusalem. And he, he broke every rule of leadership. He got up in front of everybody. And instead of saying, here's a five-year plan and this is what, he says, I don't know what to do. But he said, God does. And so he ranged. He got all of his ammunition. He got his missiles. He got his B-52s. No. He got the choir. Tough bunch. He got the choir. And he says, you guys go out ahead and you sing and play instruments. That's insane. You got a million soldiers coming at you. Let's have a singspiration. And it says they sang and praised God and gave thanks. And God routed the enemy, turned every man's sword against his own brother. And the Israelites didn't have to lift a finger, didn't do a thing. They just waited till they, they all killed each other. And then they plundered and had enough gold and silver and whatever that they could hardly haul away. God gives us either inward, private power, sometimes spreads it, but it's a channel to us of God's grace when we are thankful. So we have much today for which to be thankful. And I know we honor it as a day in our history, but we are told every day in the Bible to be thankful. Let's bow our heads and we will be dismissed with prayer. Father in heaven, in the quiet of the sanctuary this morning, I was reminded that as we come in here each week, it's always a matter of the heart. This Sunday is no different. Pray that our hearts are full of grace and mercy in our Savior. And out of that flows a thankful life. So as we sit and we listen and we all have the emotional roller coaster ride of life on this side of heaven. Let's pray, Lord, that you'd help us to remember that having a thankful heart is not does not mean, as we've been taught this morning, that we enjoy what we're experiencing, but we have the joy of the Lord through what we're experiencing. And for that, we can always give you thanks. I'm always grateful, Lord, that you teach us in your word that you don't always fix everything that we go through, but you promise to always be there with us through it. And for that, we praise you, and for that, we are thankful. So as we get up and leave this room this morning, Lord, I just pray that we would be a congregation that would walk in the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, giving thanks over all circumstances, no matter what it is that we're going through or what might be going on. And then in the extension of that, Lord, that as Peter tells us to be ready to give a reason for the hope and the thankfulness in our hearts that when other people are watching and that we might bring you glory um, by just pointing people to the cross and letting them know that's where the answer lies. 
in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.